This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Kim Reynolds of Dogman.com, and I'm here with Cooper Patagna, the national recruiting analyst back at headquarters at 24-7 Sports. And that'd be an interesting time to catch up with Cooper because he's been at a lot of programs, seen a lot of what goes on. And Cooper, is it fair to say that uh, coaching carousel season is officially upon us? It's pretty crazy. You know, we've been, we've been talking about this a lot kind of behind the scenes, but to have 11 job openings. I believe three of them are filled already. Already, you know, you kind of see the impact of early signing day uh, and the the consequences uh, that it's had. So it's it's, it's pretty interesting and, and to be able to, to, to follow this and, and see all the turnover that's already happened uh, as programs really behind the scenes uh, work to get their guy before an early national signing day. And two of the jobs are iconic programs you know usc is one of the top programs in the country one of the top jobs in the country as well as lsu and that lsu job i mean two years removed from a national championship and they're going to make a coaching change and you've been there tell people a little bit who may not be familiar with that situation just kind of your view of what happened there and how do you go from winning a national championship to being fired within two years yeah, well, I, I think you look at 2019 and you kind of look at it in a silo, uh, what they were able to do. That's arguably one of the best college football teams of all time. You have a Heisman Trophy winner in Joe Burrow, obviously the, the number one draft pick, uh, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, uh, who have solidified themselves uh, within their first two years. Uh, some of the best receivers uh, in the league, Clyde Edwards, E. Laird, and so on and so forth. Patrick Queen on defense. Derek Stingley is going to be another first-round draft pick. You know, 14 draft picks, uh, early draft picks that leave that team. And then offensively, the mastermind behind that, Joe Brady uh, in his story. Now he's the offense coordinator with the Carolina Panthers and the defense coordinator on that side, Dave Aranda, uh, who's now finds himself in the middle of these two searches, USC and LSU. So, Pretty fascinating, but I think you look at 2019 and isolate it, and you look at some of the changes that Coach Orgeron made after that season. They go from Dave Aranda, who ran a 3-4, to Bo Pelini, uh, who ran a 4-3. And then from there, that's just kind of when the infrastructure uh, started to break. And I think LSU, they've had issues behind the scenes, whether from a cultural standpoint and a locker room standpoint, being able to keep that locker room together. I think you've seen – um, the importance and the value of roster construction. Um, but it all just all came together in that 2019 season. Uh, and with that success is, is a new set of expectations that you must live up to. Obviously, Coach Orgeron over the last two years hasn't met those expectations. And it just means more right down there. And it's all, it's all about what have you done for me lately. Uh, and that's not up to standard in Baton Rouge. So it's going to be really interesting uh, to see them set their sights 
on who is going to be the new leader of that program. With expectations so high there, how desirable of a job is that? I think it's a, it's a really good job. You look at Ed Orgeron, who, who won a national championship, and Les Miles, who won a national championship before that. Um, both of those guys really less over a longer tenure, very competitive. Um, but it's a really talent-rich state in the state of Louisiana. Uh, and and we'll, we'll talk about this with Washington, but the importance of keeping top-end talent in that state, I think, is going to be really critical uh, but there's nobody else. You know, you, Jimbo Fisher's names come up in the LSU search and people would say, why would he do that with his contract the way Texas A&M is recruiting? There is no other lead dog in Louisiana like Texas, uh, where there is the University of Texas. And there's some of these second tier programs like Baylor, uh, Texas Tech and TCU. Um, so I think that and I think LSU is a unique program that's obviously had a lot of success uh, recently within the last decade. Um, and it, and it, I'll tell you what, they, they love their football down there. They're passionate about it. They just want a winning product. So um, it's going to be fascinating to, to see how that situation winds up. I really thought they'd make a run at Mel Tucker, but it looks like Mel Tucker just signed a big contract extension at Mich- Michigan State. Who would you say the top couple of guys that LSU is going to focus in on right now? Yeah, you know, the smoke down there is Lincoln Riley. And, you know, like when when I thought about this from the beginning, Scott Woodward, who obviously Washington fans are very familiar with and hired Chris Peterson at, at Washington is now the AD at LSU. He hired Jimbo Fisher uh, at Texas A&M and, and gave coach Fisher a contract that hadn't been seen before in college football. Um, so I think we're going to see something similar to that. Uh, I think there's a one, a group and I think there's a one B group in that one, a group uh, Jimbo Fisher himself Lincoln Riley, and I think that's it in the 1A group. And then I think you'll hear names like Mel Tucker, like Luke Fickle, and now Dave Aranda and Billy Napier. Those are going to be the guys uh, that as LSU works down their list, if they don't have success with those three or four names that I mentioned before, I think that's where the coaching search will end up. And uh, it's going to be interesting to, to see the reaction to that when Scott Woodward was put in place at LSU to make this exact hire in, uh, you know, the, the reputation that Scott Woodward has, he likes to go big game hunting and that's what LSU fans expect. So um, like I've said time and time again, it's going to be really, really fascinating uh, not only to see who LSU hires, but what the reaction of that hire is going to be. Three, four weeks ago, the hot name out there that everybody was going to be looking at was James Franklin from Penn state. Everything seems to have quieted down with James Franklin. Yeah, I think the last couple of weeks have have kind of pulled the curtain back on that one. And I think that one's cooled off. Now, I I don't see him as much as a fit at LSU. But if you're at USC, I think that becomes a little bit gives you a little bit more of an opening. And I think it's time for for James Franklin and Penn State to to mutually part ways. Um, I think he's shown uh, where he can take that program. I think he's maxed it out uh, in terms of what he's done from it from a resource standpoint, obviously from a recruiting standpoint, and they have a really good recruiting class coming in. Um, But you've seen James Franklin, and this has really kind of been the result. Uh, I I would not be surprised if they're kind of heading for a mutual departure at some point here in the future. 
you know, and, and talking to people that I know real well, Luke Fickle, you know, who's probably one of the hottest coaches out there. He's a Midwest guy and people doubt that he would leave the Midwest, but uh, you know, for my people I'm talking to Penn state would be a job he'd definitely be interested in. So, you know, it's just that coaching carousel thing, uh, you know, if you had a choice, James Franklin or Luke Fickle at Penn state. Oh, for me, Luke Fickle, you know, I, I, I was, um, had a, a great experience of been, being able to spend a, a few months with Coach Fickle at Cincinnati um, as a holdover from Tommy Tuberville's staff before I took the job at Michigan. And it was really uh, interesting to be there and kind of see the transition process between Coach Fickle, Marcus Freeman, who came in as the defense coordinator, is now the defense coordinator at Notre Dame. Uh, they had a vision. Uh, and, I, and I think that's really important. You saw that from day one, very organized, very clear path to how that program was going to proceed forward. Uh, been very impressed with him and, and the product uh, that he's delivered at Cincinnati. And then just what they've done from a roster composition standpoint, I think it's been, been exceptional. The other monster job that's out there, one of the elite jobs, you know, in all of college football, USC. And when USC elevated Todd Helton, Ed Orgeron was there and there was a lot of push to have Ed Orgeron at USC. Do you think there's any chance that they look at Ed Orgeron for that job? No, I don't think so. I, I, I think that would be tough. Um, maybe there's some conversations. I, I, I wouldn't expect that there would be extensive conversations. I, and I think not just from a win-loss standpoint, but obviously everything that went on behind the scenes at LSU um, there are obviously some cracks in the operation and, and especially in, in coach Orgeron's personal life, um, that ended up seeping through and, and got, uh, the public's eye and, um, gave back some negative attention to the university. So I think that itself, and I think the, the cultural, uh, presentation of USC is going to be something that decision makers really key in on as they try to find their next head coach. What's interesting is you take a look at the LSU opening and the USC opening and even the Washington opening. And one of the questions I really wanted to ask you is because you're involved in personnel decisions. How important is it to decide whether to hire a guy who's got a defensive background or an offensive background in today's college football landscape? I think it's important. You know, I think it's a balance though. I mean, it's a, it's certainly a case by case, um, I think what it does, it, it increases your margin of error. You know, like we were watching uh, a, a few weeks ago, I was watching Oklahoma sleepwalk at Kansas through the first half. And then I thought to myself, what a luxury to have Lincoln Riley as your head coach uh, to be able to deliver the message that needs to be delivered to the team. Also, is going to be the same guys at the control, at the helm of the offense that can make the adjustments. So, I think it's important. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if it's everything, but, you know, you talk about these CEO type of coaches and you look at James Franklin, you look at Dabo Sweeney, Ed Orgeron, who fit in that category. I just think they have to be exceptional in every other areas. I mean, they almost, they, they almost have to overcompensate uh, to a point in terms of everything that goes into the program from a macro level to a micro level. Uh, and what I mean from that is obviously the personnel side of it and the recruiting and have a vision and the plan all the way up into the execution of that to the staffing in terms of, OK, what is the offense and the defensive side of the ball going to look like uh, and expecting high turnover. Um, so there's so many things that go into building a winning program and sustaining a winning program when you have a guy that doesn't really have a background in the offense or defensive side of the ball or maybe he's just a position coach. Those other factors really have to be 
exceptional, in my opinion. So uh, I think having a guy with an offensive or defensive background who's obviously very well-versed in every other part of the program as well um, is just a luxury, quite honestly. From what I've heard, Washington's going to lock in, you know, or one of the highest priority is going to be hiring a coach, a head coach, um, who likes to recruit or loves recruiting or is putting a lot more emphasis on that. And, you know, don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think you kind of, you know, put out on Twitter that those guys are hard to find on the West Coast. Talk to me a little bit about those kind of guys, how important personnel is and how does it really differ on the West Coast as opposed back in the SEC? And, yeah, and, think, and Big 12. Yeah, sure. No, I think you, you get what you emphasize. And I think it can be done on the West Coast. We, we just haven't seen it be done. You know, you look at Oregon right now, it's got the ninth ranked recruiting class. You look at Stanford right now, who surprisingly is in the top 20. And then you look at one win Arizona is the next highest ranked team in the Pac-12 at, at 36. UCLA at four, Colorado at five, Oregon State at six, Washington at seven, and then USC at nine. Obviously, with the coaching change, they're, they're, they're really dealing with the fallout of that. So there has to be a higher standard in the Pac-12 in terms of valuing personnel. Uh, I, I believe Coach Peterson did a really good job of that at Washington, but there was still some meat left on the bone uh, in terms of raising the ceiling for the expectation of competing on a national level. And that's what I mean. As of right now, there's only one school in this conference competing on a national level. And we saw that earlier this year when Oregon went to Columbus and beat Ohio State. I'm not sure if there's another team in the conference that was capable of doing that, even having a competitive game there. So um, I think that's important. I think there needs to be somebody who understands that. And you hear me talk about Luke Fickle and, and, and what I really admired about him. He came from Ohio State. He really understood that area geographically and he really focused on the tri-state area. And that has where, is where they have won. They've done a really good job identifying the prospects who kind of fall between the cracks of the Big Ten and the SEC who are plan B prospects, second-tier prospects to some of these bigger schools. And it, quite honestly, they've taken advantage of that. So I think at Washington, that has to be reprioritized. You know, I heard Chip Kelly's name come up. Uh, today in the Washington head coaching search. And Chip Kelly is a good football coach. What has held him back at UCLA, which the difference between UCLA and Oregon for him has just been recruiting and not prioritizing that personnel that we talk about. So it will be interesting. And like I say, you, you haven't really seen that. Who in the Pac-12, who in the Mountain West is, has really overachieved from a recruiting standpoint that gets you excited if you're a Washington fan? And I would have a hard time finding that answer. And I know it's both, but there's coaches that are just outstanding recruiters. You know, Ed Orgeron is an outstanding recruiter. And then there's going to be other type of coaches who are better, like you mentioned, the CEO type who are better at putting the systems in place. You know, which one is a higher priority? Would you rather, I mean, I know you have to have both, but talk to me a little bit about the difference between the two and what do you think is most important? Yeah, there, there, there has to be a balance. I, I think that makes sense. But when you look at the Pac-12 landscape, if you're recruiting at really a high level in the Pac-12, you're really zigging why everybody else is zagging. And, and I will maintain that. You know, I've worked at both places, Washington and Oregon. What has given Oregon the leg up in this conference 
is their ability to recruit and recruit top end and recruit the line of scrimmage really well on both sides of the ball. So, um, you know, but also on the other side of that, that coin, we thought Ed Orgeron's name keeps coming up. You know, Ed Orgeron's ability to recruit and recruit top end talent put him in position to take advantage in 2019. But his inability to handle the offseason and everything that came with that success in terms of roster turnover, in terms of coaching turnover, was what really led to his downfall. So, it, you know, it, it's, um, it's quite, a, quite a conundrum. So everybody's kind of looking for that one person that understands the importance of both. And for me, it would be the CEO, but it would be a very clear expectation if I'm Jim Cohen that you need to lay out a, a very good and clear plan in terms of what recruiting at the University of Washington is going to look like and geographically, where is that going to be in terms of the recruiting footprint? Um, and I'd want to see it A to Z. And, and, and I think if you can emphasize that, uh, there's no reason that Washington can't be a sustainable player in the Pac-12. If any West Coast team, let's say, you know, let's take Washington, for example, and we talk about getting championship type personnel. If your footprint is the West Coast, Washington, Oregon, California, uh, Nevada, Arizona, and dabbing into Texas a little bit, specifically the Houston area, with that footprint of recruiting base, can you get the personnel to be able to play at a high level? Absolutely, in my opinion. But the, the thing is, you have to understand the margin of error is very slim. Uh, so what I mean by that is your board is going to be slim. Um, so with that, there needs to be an added emphasis on staying a step ahead of the competition. Uh, so in terms of the identification, the evaluation process, in terms of building and maintaining relationships, in terms of being able to get recruits on campus uh, and continuously do this uh, and, and, and really execute this approach that just becomes that much more important. And, it, and it's really at a minuscule level. So, um, you know, I think we did a good job at Washington. Like I said, and I will be the first one to say this, there was still meat left on the bone in terms of our time there and being able to go out and really reel in some of the guys that were going to make a difference at the high level. And, you know, some of these names that you'll hear me refer back to in my time are, Jordan Botello, Nick Herbig, especially at the linebacker position, two guys uh, from Hawaii that end up going to Notre Dame in Wisconsin. You know, Lathan Ransom ends up going to Ohio State. Denzel Burke ends up going to Ohio State. Obviously, Washington fans are very familiar uh, with the, the players in the state of Washington who have ended up going to Columbus. That cannot happen. If you want to build a national championship or playoff caliber team, that cannot happen. And that has to be the first conversation that takes place. Uh, and trust me, I understand all the external factors between name, image, and likeness and competing with the SEC. I understand that. But at some point, you have to put your foot down and say, this is going to run through us. And once you take that approach, I think you'll see the benefits of it. Is recruiting real? I mean, is it rocket science or is it just hard work? It's hard work that 98% of the country doesn't want to do. That's me, the reality of it. And, give me an, and, and look, give me an example of something you, 98% of the country doesn't want to do. They don't want to do what has to be done in terms of recruiting. Mm -hmm. 
you know, going to work every day in terms of being a coach, a lot of coaches, what they want to do instinctually is they want to coach ball. That's why they got into the profession. They want to develop young men. They want to get on the whiteboard. They want to do X's and O's and they want to teach. Recruiting takes a lot of work, takes a lot of effort. You know, it's like, it's one of those things that you have to learn to love and you have to understand why it's important and why it's critical uh, to the process uh, of building a winning team and a will winning building. Um, so what I mean by that is recruiting takes no days off. It doesn't matter if you're, you're seven and one or if you're three and four, or you, it, it doesn't matter what the win loss record is. You still have to do that. And you still have to sell that vision to recruits and their families and everybody involved in that process it's important in everyday, everyday counts, every conversation matters, every exposure matters uh, in that process from the moment you start recruiting that player. Uh, and it's not something you can do half-heartedly or to check a box. And the teams that understand that and do that with genuineness and authenticity are usually the ones that reap the benefits of it. Give me the names of a couple of guys, maybe nationally, that you just think are just outstanding recruiters and maybe a couple on the West Coast that are just outstanding recruiters. And what is it that makes them outstanding? Well, I think it's consistency. I think it's follow through. I think it's communication. And I think it's understanding um, where you are in terms of the program that you represent, what that program or that city has to offer? And then what is it that that recruit and or that recruit's family is looking for? Because everybody's going to be different. You know, there's a lot of different factors. Some, some people are, are uh, and families are looking for um, location. Others are looking for player development. Others are looking for early playing time. The list goes on, so on and so forth. So I think it's understanding that, not taking a very vague vanilla cookie cutter approach and looking at the individual and crafting a plan that makes sense to saying, hey, how do we get the result that we want here? Which is, how do we get player X to sign his name on the dotted line uh, and, and really represent our university? So, um, you know, some guys that obviously I respect, like it will be, this will be no shock, but like, you know, the guys at the top, we continue to see these programs, Alabama, Georgia, really from the SEC, Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher have taken a very big step this season in terms of the way that they've recruited. I think Ohio State does a great job in terms of early identification and evaluation. They do a really good job of not really going into places where they're going to have more trouble in terms of recruiting against guys who, who might be uh, give them a little bit more difficulty on the recruiting trail. So, you know, I, I look at those schools. I look at Oklahoma, who does a really good job. And you look at Look, look at them and what they've done in terms of expanding their national footprint and look at the class of 2023. I mean, just even Los Alamitos, right? Mal- Malachi Nelson, DeAndre Moore, Makai Lemon, like three guys from California that are arguably would be the crown jewel of any class that they would sign in in the Pac-12. You know, so Clemson in, in you know, it's, well, you can make an argument and say, hey, you just, really uh, identified five schools within who are really in the top seven in the country over the last five years. Well, what's the reason? 
And it's the programs that understand the value of personnel. Coaching and development, it's important. Culture, it's critical. Personnel has a little bit more value, in my opinion. That's coming from a personnel guy. But at the end of the day, these are the guys who are taking the field uh, that ultimately are going to decide the result of these games played. And, and if you have those other factors in place, then those guys are, are, are really going to be the ones at the end of the day that are going to decide the result. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, Washington has, uh, their recruiting has slipped and, you know, there's people, you know, that are close to the program say uh, they've lost some really good talent evaluators and they're strictly depending on development out there, you know, and Jimmy Lake as an assistant coach was a really good talent developer. I don't know how much that changed going to the head coach, but, you know, talk to me a little bit about, you know, what's caused Washington recruiting to just kind of really take a slide. And you mentioned, you know, you cannot lose guys, you know, in the area. It's just unacceptable. Like Emeka uh, Egbuka going to Ohio State, JT Tuomalau going to Ohio State, Josh Connerly, one of the best offensive linemen that's come out of the state in quite some time. Looks like he's not even looking at Washington. How has this happened at Washington? Well, you know, just in, in my honest opinion, my question would be, what is the plan? What is the vision? And if you look at Washington has done since Jimmy Lake has been there, that would be the big question, um, you know, in terms of geographically, what are they trying to accomplish? And how was Jimmy Lake going to upgrade the roster uh, in, in, in terms of talent acquisition? We haven't seen that happen. And to me, it's been... Um, you know, like I'm not, I'm not there. I'm not in the building, but on, on the outside of it is that would be the question. How much is it actually emphasized? How much has it been emphasized? How much of it is a priority? Like when your back's up against the wall and you have a losing record and it's early in the season and the result hasn't met the expectations, is it still a consistent part of your program? And I would argue no, it, it hasn't been. Um, and we've seen that as a result. And there's just been some things that um, I, I would say show that, um, right? And, and you look at some of the guys that we mentioned, JT Tuamalau and Mecca Egbuka, that type of stuff can't happen. And how much really were they in those conversations? You know, and if you look at Washington right now, they're sitting at 53rd in the country. And it's like, what's next for them? Um, so look, I don't want to sound like the guy who the, the former employee that every, everybody knows and understands that situation, but there's obviously been a lack, uh, of organization, uh, and vision, uh, and execution. So a, a failure at all three levels, in my opinion, that's led them to be in this position. Just, you know, from way down South. It just what do you think happened up here? I mean, with Jimmy Lake, because he was a 
highly, highly, you know, sought after guy, you know, seemed like he had job offers every year, you know, how much of that was, you know, Jimmy promoting Jimmy and how much of that was actual interest, but, you know, from an outside looking in from where you are, what do you think happened up here? Well, I think Jimmy Lake is a, is a, a very good defensive backs coach. I thought he was a, a very keen uh, identifier of talent. And I think he did a really good job in his room. And then once he got promoted, I think he did a good job on the, on the defensive side of the ball as well. I think going from a position room to a defensive coordinator, that's a big step going from a position room to a defensive coordinator and then a head coach within a number of years that's a really large leap and that's a really big gap from the responsibilities um, that one position had to now leading an entire uh, defensive room to now being a head coach. And I think there's so much that goes into being a head coach that people really don't account for. Um, and once you get to see it up close, you have a lot of respect for those people who are in those positions that do it at such a high level. So not to mention everything that goes uh, on between the white lines and, and being able to get a winning result, but everything that goes on off the field in, in terms of being able to cultivate a culture uh, and, and um, so many other things in, in, in terms of recruiting, in, in terms of development, in terms of selling the program and representing the program the right way. And, you know, if Jimmy Lake is, is sitting here at four and six and there's no sideline incident and I think what he's really struggled with is the part of the job in terms of being able to communicate his message to the media. Um, in a lot of ways, you know, even from day one in terms of going out and addressing the crowd at the basketball game and saying, Hey, we're going to dominate the West coast, uh, which is Washington was certainly respectable. Uh, at that point, we had recruiting classes that we were confident about, but it wasn't like we were dominating. Um, so I think the messaging and the results have been very different um, in terms of what people have expected. And I think he painted this picture uh, that was very misleading uh, in terms of the execution of, of what he was really preaching. So, um, you know, I think a lot of that really has to do more with what happened off the field than it does on the field, quite honestly. Um, and if that didn't happen, if the comments about Oregon and academic prowess, it's like have some social awareness and understanding that you're 53rd in the country right now. And Oregon's the third ranked team getting ready to potentially represent the conference in a Pac-12 championship and potentially a college football playoff. Maybe this is a topic you want to avoid. You know, and that's just that that's just my two cents on it. And so in my opinion, and it, I, I think it had more to do with the negative attention uh, that Washington found themselves in the last month than it did with what was happening between the white lines that I think only pulled the curtain back a little bit more. Um, and and you know, that was something that Washington really over the last seven years with Chris Peterson, not only a Hall of Fame coach, but a really good person and a really good communicator in terms of messaging, never had to deal with. And now you're dealing with this a year and a half into your program. It, I, I mean, it was a, a complete um, 180 uh, from, from 
what that administration had been accustomed to. You've had up close and personal looks at a lot of good coaches, a lot of good programs. What's the hardest thing about being a head coach that the average fan just has no clue about? Well, I think the great ones have social awareness. I think the great ones are open to learning. You know, I think that they, they understand that they don't have all the answers. It's a very difficult job. Doesn't matter how many zeros are in your bank account. You're going to need the help of the people there on your staff. And you have to be able to listen. You have to be vulnerable enough to say, hey, I don't know something when that comes up. And hopefully you've done your homework and you've done extensive research about the people that you've chosen to surround yourself with and you've empowered them uh, within your organization uh, to help you. Um, And I think, you know, the one thing about Chris Peterson was, you know, even with all his success, was he was the best listener me personally had ever been around and his uh, willingness to learn more and to understand and try to get different perspectives on a ever changing industry that changes rapidly. It's hard to keep up with, um, but his willingness to try to learn and, and continue to evolve with that process. I think it's something that Washington can learn when they're trying to find any of these programs when they're trying to find the next head coach. I mean, between name, and name, image, and likeness, between the transfer portal, the game has changed so rapidly uh, in a short amount of time. So I think somebody who is very open-minded and flexible, uh, but also very practical is necessary. A lot of programs like to try to find that uh, magic in a bottle that they had at once t- one time and with Chris Peterson. Is it possible to replicate that or is he truly a unicorn? No, I think, you know, like if you're Washington, in my opinion, this is like you can take the core principles and values of what Pete really stood for and say, hey, this is something that we're aiming to be going forward. And I completely understand that. But you need to let the next coach be his own man. And I think that's really important, especially if Washington's going to have success trying to replicate what Chris Peterson did when anybody at Washington themselves would tell you that, hey, you know, the, the vernacular being thrown around when to describe him is 1% unicorn. He's different. He's elite. Well, that just means that those guys don't grow on trees. You know, it doesn't mean that you can't find another guy that's, that's going to be successful, but trying to emulate Pete's passion for built for life and the OKG philosophy, you're not going to find that. You didn't find that in Jimmy Lake. You know, you wouldn't find that with, with anybody within that organization. Pete's uh, passion for that is, is all stuff that he cared very deeply about. I think you, you have to have uh, a handful of items that I think are necessary in terms of what you're looking for. Um, but I think you need to evaluate the next coaching prospect um, individually uh, from, from all those things that we talk about with, with Chris Peterson. You're familiar with the culture up here. You're familiar with the resources, the area and its capabilities. If you were in Jen Cohen's inner circle and you were to slipper some names and say, Jen, these are guys you definitely need to vet and take a look at. Not necessarily that they're the right guy, but who are some guys that you would say would be a really good fit at Washington? Yeah. And I think like that F word is so important. I think you're, you're going to hear that throughout the process and it's going to be about fit. I kind of look at it and like, 
two different ways, right? Because more than likely, like Chris Peterson is going to be involved in this process. And with that are going to be guys that kind of fit what we were talking about, right? They're going to be uh, in, in terms of being able to cultivate a locker room, uh, build trust and, and connect um, and, and develop relationships with not only their players, but their, their coaching staff and their support staff members in the administration. I think those are all things that Jim Cohen is probably going to be looking at right now. And I think there are some high floor guys that kind of fit that conversation. I think you look at Kalani Sataki at BYU, his name's come up, Jaden Norvell uh, at, at Nevada. I think Jonathan Smith at Oregon State, you kind of ask that question like, okay, why would he leave there? He, he's starting to kind of get that ship going in the right direction. You know, Chip Kelly's name came up this afternoon. Uh, I think another one like Jeff Choate, obviously, you know, who had a lot of success and worked under Pete uh, at Washington is now at Texas and uh, in, in left Montana to go to Texas. But I think some outside the box, if it was me, and I think this is kind of a question, right? I think maybe some of these names that I'm about to say raised the ceiling in terms of what Washington could be. But there's a lot more unknown, you know, whether that's geographically, whether that's kind of questioning the fit altogether. There's just a little bit more unknown about these guys. But if I'm sitting in that chair, there's a couple guys that I want to bring in and that I want to talk to. One of them would be Jeff Halfley at Boston College. Been extremely impressed with him. And I think from an outside-the-box standpoint, from a fit standpoint, you look at a guy at a high academic institution like Boston College and the job that he's done, uh, in a short amount of time, I think there are some similarities there between the pro two programs that make sense. I think Bronco Mendenhall, who was obviously familiar with uh, the West Coast at his time at BYU, similar situation at Virginia. Dave Clawson at Wake Forest, who, who's had a really good year. Um, and then, you know, maybe some outliers that I don't think these guys would, would gain traction, but two guys at the academy that have done really good jobs, Jeff Monken and Ken Niamatololo, who's, you know, star has started to dwindle the last couple of years. But um, outside of that, you know, there's going to be some names, I'm sure, thrown around. I just don't know if UW's going to have the gravity to attract them. I would expect Billy Napier from ULF. Yeah, Dave Aranda, uh, you know, Brian Harson's name's been out there. Kellen Moore, uh, which I, I, I don't think Washington gives them enough reason to leave the NFL. But you know, a couple other guys, Joe Moorhead, offense coordinator at Oregon. I think he's, he's a lot better coach than his tenure at Mississippi State reflected. Two guys that I like a lot that you would kind of question their fit at Washington. But I think if you're UW, you have to understand these are probably guys starting the year after this offseason that are going to start to get some name recognition. And do you have the time and or patience or runway to be able to grow with these guys. One guy would be Marcus Freeman uh, at Notre Dame, the defensive coordinator who came over from Cincinnati, um, who's going to continue to get name recognition. And I think coming from Pickle has a really good understanding of program building. Uh, and then the other one would be Jeff Levy over at Ole Miss, offense coordinator with Lane Kiffin. And we talked about the importance of having uh, experience on one side of the ball or the other. And Levy certainly has that and is a terrific young mind. Um, maybe they're not ready yet, but I'm at least having preliminary conversations with those guys. And maybe one ends up impressing a little bit more uh, than, than what your expectation was. You know, Yogi Roth always says, got to love ball. That's what's cool about talking with you, Cooper, is it's fun talking ball with Cooper. I mean, it's fun. 
you know, we don't get to do it all the time. We're always dealing with the nonsense, it seems like. But, uh, you know, talking ball is always fun. You know, and one of these days we're going to talk more about personnel and guys because that's what, you know, really intrigues uh intrigues people but uh what are you up to these days cooper i know you're you're down uh working at uh, 24 7 sports looking looking at a lot of film and and talking but uh, tell people what you're up to these days yeah i mean that's that's it i'm sitting on a, a rankings council with two other guys that i love working with gabe brooks and, and chris singletary living down here in birmingham and really just kind of enjoying um life down here and kind of being away from the rat race and I mean, I'm thinking about all my buddies right now at, at UW and some of these places that are, are going through coaching changes. It's, it's tough. But other than that, um, you know, really overseeing the recruiting's rankings process and, man, talk about a, a thankless job. You know, I don't think I've made one fan happy, uh, regardless of what we've done in terms of moving guys up and down the board, which I, which I never expected. But uh, it's been fun, man. It's been it, it, totally different lens being on the media side of it just trying to enjoy it and, you know, hopefully kind of get out more and do, do more stuff like this and, um, you know, really get to, to interact with fan bases and uh, get to have awesome insightful discussions. I remember going through a rough patch in my business and it just seemed like everybody was pissed off at me and my assistant, uh, she laid down a piece of paper in front of me. It says, if you're not pissing anybody off, you're not doing anything. So, <laughs> you know, you just can't win with fan bases, Cooper. You just can't. No, without a doubt. I'm, I'm learning that uh, pretty quickly. All right, Cooper, we appreciate you jumping on with us. Great stuff. And uh, we'll do this again sometime soon. All right, Kim. Appreciate you, man. <laughs> Normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves, demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. Visions of hell. Make it stop, make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil, the final season. Streaming May 23rd, only on Paramount Plus.